0: Coming to you from a cozy little condo, high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome Welcome. to the Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts.
1: And a happy hump day to you. I gotta tell you, I've never seen so much consternation over kickball in all my life. I I must admit, by the way, that here in Atlanta, there are adult kickball leagues and... (laughs) The, uh, the LGBTQ kickball league here uh, in the city of Atlanta has uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting team names. I-, I could share, you know what? Let's share some. Okay, looking in uh, current Stonewall Sports uh, spring kickball standings, we have uh, Spice Bugs and Avocado Toast, Liquid Love, all about that base, Fish Out of Water, the Power Puff Girls. Do not believe there are girls on that team. Uh the Justice League, the shady pitches, the pitch, please. Balls deep. Oh man. Master basers. Ooh, this is getting creepy. Uh pitches be crazy. Sit on my base. <laughs> there's the golden girls. Uh there's thirst base. The Atlanta Bunt. As in bunting. Atlanta. Atlanta Bunt Pirates, Suck My Kick, oh my gosh. AJ and the Queens, the High Jump Kicks, Poles and hill. I'm not saying that. Mean Girls, uh, Kick and Peaches, those are some of the uh, local gay kickball uh, league team names. If you're tuning into this show and you're like, this is a political show, Ron, what the hell are you talking about? So there's an annual kickball game that takes place between the House and the Senate from the Georgia General Assembly. Uh, It took place yesterday at uh, Center Park Credit Union Stadium. That is uh, the old Turner Field, Georgia State's football stadium. Anyway, uh, there were lawmakers and staffers on both teams. And despite some accusations of cheating, it it turns out that the House beat the Senate 15-11. to But I bring this up because some folks are not happy that this game even happened. And I think it's because there are a lot of emotions riding high uh, after the passage, uh, specifically of SB 140, the measure that limits gender-affirming care for trans youth under the age of 18. Like, there's a lot of, how can you get out and play softball, I'm sorry, kickball, after such a heated back and forth where children's lives and... Uh, reducing suicide are at the center of all of this, where you had floor debate with a mostly empty chamber because as uh, Senator Josh McLaren stated, the votes were already baked. People had made up their minds. They weren't going to be changed by things like facts and data and anecdotes and personal experience and, you know, inconvenient things like that. So, there were folks on Twitter who were like, I I, I can't believe... In fact, Dom Kelly tweets, uh, Yesterday, Georgia Republicans passed a dangerous bill that would harm trans youth in our state. Within a few hours, both Democrats and Republicans went and played a rousing game of kickball together. Like nothing happened. Jen Slipikoff, I'm glad that GA House Dems and GA Senate Dems got over their disgust so quickly. Meanwhile, there were hundreds of parents and kids across Georgia crying tears of sorrow and fear all through the night. Cindy Battles tweeting, Just going to remind Dems, expressing their outrage over Republicans in SB 140, this is the image parents, trans kids, and activists saw barely hours later. Hope it was good times, as she retweeted from uh, Maya T. Prabhu. Uh, I believe Maya working for the AJC, right? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Some pictures from that kickball game yesterday. Marissa Pyle with Fair Fight Action tweeting, After Republicans passed a bill banning gender-affirming care for trans kids, some Dems are still attending, playing a friendly bipartisan game of kickball tonight. The trans kids and parents who were sobbing in the hallway today may, respectfully, had a slightly different view. Yeah, the optics are kind of... And this got me to thinking, what if, what if all along, we had set up a kickball game between Georgia House and Senate Republicans? And those gay kickball teams I was telling you about, like just to set up a, 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 a what do you say? An all-star game between uh, the, uh, the, 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 players from suck my kick and the golden girls and the master basers, also the first place team <clears throat> balls deep. Uh, and, and, and then, you know, just maybe some interaction can be had and, Some of these stick-up-their-ass Republicans might see that, you know what, lesbian and gay people, they're not so bad. They're kind of fun to hang out with. And, dare I say, might learn a little something about the trans community as well. You'd never know. It's an idea. By the way, there's also some consternation about some folks who didn't vote at all on SB 140. Some, what up with that querying? coming around right now uh Senator Tanya Anderson she was there she just didn't vote like in the building but didn't vote Republican state Senator Chuck Huffstedler uh also didn't vote AJC reached out for comment he had none uh, state Senator Freddie Powell Sims also didn't vote and gave no comment additionally uh Bill cowsert didn't vote as well. He did, by the way, point out that he had voted for an earlier version of the member. So we have two on either side of the aisle, four lawmakers who skipped the SB 140 vote altogether. Curious. One can assume that because the Senate vote was a 10 vote margin, uh, neither of the representatives on either side of the aisle wanted to weigh in on a bill that they had no passionate feeling about whatsoever, or maybe on the right, there are friends, family members who could be directly involved, uh, directly impacted. And so those two senators decided the best thing for me to do is not to vote at all. It's curious about the two on the left, curious why Senator Freddie Powell Sims and Senator Tanya Anderson opted not to vote. Could it be that they have feelings that are in line with those who wrote SB 140, but also knew because of the vote margin that they had political cover not to weigh in one way or the other? Sometimes not voting leaves people to speculate and could lead them down a path of speculation that a Senator Freddie Powell Sims or a Senator Tanya Anderson may not appreciate. But when the media reaches out to you to ask you why and you don't respond to numerous requests, well, let the speculation begin. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, Senator Sims, Senator Anderson, if you weren't passionately, emotionally charged to vote one way or the other, okay, fine. But your constituents deserve to know why you didn't vote. And let me say this, because it has to be said. The two Democratic senators we're talking about are African-American women. Less emphasis on the women part, more emphasis on the African-American. And it's noteworthy that the church is a vital part of the Black community, particularly the rural Black community. Uh, Freddie Powell Sims represents a mostly rural chunk of the state of Georgia. Senator Anderson, by the way, from Lithonia, her uh, Senate district includes a lot of Decab, Rockdale, and Newton counties. By the way, Senator Anderson is an ordained minister, very active in her church as well. I, I point this out because, understandably, the church playing such a large role in the African American community. These particular representatives may feel socially, conservatively compelled to vote in favor of SB 140. I completely think they're wrong to, but they may have been compelled to, and just saw not voting as an opportunity not to buck the party, but not to buck their principles as well. Just going to put that out there. In Senator Anderson's case, it wasn't logistics. Someone saw her walk by the chamber with her lunch as the vote was taking place. Incidentally, I did I did think this was noteworthy. Uh, Patinkin Research Strategies, LLC, uh, polled SB 140 and said that polling shows 66% of likely 2024 voters in Georgia, including 59% of Republicans, opposed the bill, with 58% strongly opposed to it. Now, I don't know if That is useful in trying to persuade Governor Kemp to ignore the bill, to uh, let it slide under some other documents on his desk, and oops, I lost it. Can't sign it if I lost it. I I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that uh, there uh, is a huge letter writing and email writing and uh, postcard signing. Uh, There there was a a lot of that going on today. Uh, Folks demonstrating outside the governor's office, Uh, the folks at uh, Georgia Equality and the Georgia Youth Justice Coalition continuing to do the work to try and convince the governor to somehow overlook signing SB 140. And then there's the whole constitutionality of the bill in the first place. Senator Shea Roberts uh, tweeted uh, late last night uh, a valid point. She said, I've been beating the drum on that issue all session. It drives me insane that GOP keeps passing bills that on their very face are unconstitutional. Taxpayers should not bear the cost of this unnecessary litigation, fiscally irresponsible. Senator uh, Sally Harrell, who, by the way, we have had on the show, she has gone public and stated that one of her child, one of her children is trans. It's something that uh, she has learned a lot about as a compassionate mother over the last few years. Anyway, she was asking uh, Senator Nan Orrock some questions about the constitutionality of the bill, which has been challenged and litigated in other states, saying that it will cost taxpayers and litigation costs, which even the Georgia Attorney General has acknowledged. And by the way, the ACLU, they've said, Governor Kemp signs it, we're taking it to court. So, I mean, using that as thought fodder here, w- what if we designed some sort of mechanism that made... It's so, I don't know, can can you do it so that the legislator who writes an unconstitutional bill that's challenged in court and proven to be unconstitutional, can, can, can that legislator be held responsible for the costs incurred so that the taxpayers don't have to bear that brunt? If you know you're writing an unconstitutional law, shouldn't you bear some responsibility for that? Not me, not any other taxpayer, you. You were hired to do a job. You were hired to do a job that you told your voters, your constituents, you were qualified to do. If you write an unconstitutional law and it's challenged and borne out in committee, proven to be unconstitutional, and yet your sick of ants, vote for it anyway with you, shouldn't you and they bear some responsibility? Just some food for thought. Yo, I feel like we're on to something here, y'all. I got more thoughts on this, but I'm up against a hard break. Stand up.
0: More Ron Show on America One Radio after this. Archived audio, blogs, social media, links, and more all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: Ooh, we left last segment with a thought, did we not? Listen, what if we made it so that... Lawmakers who write bills that are passed into law and then found to be unconstitutional in court, what if they had to bear the responsibility of paying for the tab to fight that law in court instead of you and I, the taxpayer? I mean, would this not keep folks from writing bills that they know? Would it not stop? Would it not cause them to pull a bill if it's in committee and the committee comes to realize, yo, this is unconstitutional. Like, there's a question of constitutionality. Yeah, because then, you know, Senator Jim Bubba from Cochrane, Georgia might go, huh, well, I can't, I, I can't afford that. I can't afford to do that. And, and I know what you're thinking. Well, Ron, we want common people who may not be wealthy— to run for office. No, I agree a thousand percent. So maybe it wouldn't just come out of their pocket, but their campaign coffers as well. Because what it would do then is it would stop folks from rallying to support loud and obnoxious Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene type, uh uh, you know, ignorant populist but ignorant politicians who are highly unqualified for a legislative seat. From even running for office in the first place because the, the donors aren't going to be donating to them, throwing money away, knowing that, that that jackass is going to write something unconstitutional and we're going to wind up paying for it. Yeah, that shouldn't come from the taxpayers, should it? That's not, mm-mm, that's not right. If, if, if your district elects somebody really stupid and highly unqualified and they write some populist drivel that is unconstitutional, well... Why should someone outside that district have to pay the burden of fighting that unconstitutional law in court if through the process of making that bill of law, it's pointed out several times that the law is unconstitutional? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that the folks in that district should have to pay for it, but I definitely think the politician and or the politician's campaign coffers should have to bear that cost of Uh, litigious tab instead of all of the state's taxpayers. Would that not stop a lot of this venomous anti-insert marginalized community targeted nonsense from happening? I I think it would. It would also put the role of a, a legislative parliamentarian at the forefront and would really give some weight to these committee hearings that bear out whether or not a bill is even constitutional to consider voting on. It would give some, it would put some skin in the game. Listen, I'm on a, I'm on a softball league board. Well, we're just talking all kinds of gay sports today, right? I'm on a softball league board, y'all. And when, when we're drafting new uh, policies for the board, we have to weigh it against It's constitutionality. We have to weigh it through our parliamentarian on the board as to whether or not it runs afoul of our league's bylaws, its constitution, and even our our parent national organization's charter as well. If we have to do that, and we do so before even considering a measure, why is it okay that legislators at the state or federal level, don't have to do that themselves. It's irresponsible. And trust me when I tell you, if the board that I serve on for the softball league finds itself in legal hot water, like our coffers are going to be come for. And we're not going to be held responsible for it. But why is it that like just a handful of uh, you know, common sense adults here in Metro Atlanta, Georgia, who are on a softball league board, at least consider the well being of the coffers and the league itself. But legislators here in Atlanta, who come from all over the the state, aren't doing that themselves. Well, I, I'm sorry. I think I think maybe there should be some skin in the game here. Like, it would be hugely unpopular on. My softball league, if we push something through that was going to cost the league tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal costs, if we knew that was going to be the case, or even if we didn't, boy, that'd be even worse. You mean, you just ignorantly pass something and next thing you know, we got sued. You're out of here, man. I mean, not only would would we not be on the board anymore, we probably wouldn't even be allowed to play. I mean, you, you can't cost an organization tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars and then expect to go out and play and everything's going to be cool. And yet, like I started the show with, do, do, do. these legislators went and played kickball with each other and the House beat the Senate. Yay! Bipartisan. Yay! But, but you just passed an anti-trans youth bill and, and are waiting for the governor to sign it, knowing that it could be unconstitutional. No take the ball away. you don't get to play. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I think we're on to something here. And I know it's it's a little late to, 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 to introduce something now, but 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 maybe maybe going into a you know next legislative session, we literally make it so that there has to be some skin in the game. If a legislator in the Georgia General Assembly writes a bill, that is proven to be unconstitutional in court years down the road, maybe, or however soon it takes that author, that bill's author and that bills, uh, that bills authors, uh, campaign coffers, they should, they should have to, they should have to bear the expense of the litigation. And maybe that'll, uh, that'll mean some sort of, um, how how is it like when you, when you're uh, when you're a doctor, you have to, Pay malpractice insurance. Well, shouldn't you have to be insured against malpractice as a legislator as well? Hmm. This is some food for thought. I'm thinking we're on to something here. Some of y'all might be going, this guy's crazy, but I'm sorry. Some sort of personal responsibility. Person- they are the party of personal responsibility, right? Why should they not bear some personal responsibility for pushing through ignorant legislation that's going to cost? you and I, the Georgia taxpayer, money in courts. If it were popular legislation, that'd be one thing. But as we pointed out last last segment, SB 140 is not even popular with Republicans. 58% oppose it. More than 60% of all Georgia voters oppose it. So why are we going to pay the legal fees for this? And you know, as I said, the ACLU is coming for this bill if the governor signs it. Maybe he's going to weigh that before putting his signature to that bill. We will see.
0: More Ron Show on America One Radio next. Call or text the Ron Show anytime at 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio.
1: All right, welcome back to the second half. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be really upset if my phone goes off every night at 9 o'clock with one of those, like, Amber Alert sort of things and this message.
0: It's 9 p.m. Do you know where your children are?
1: <laughs> I, I say that because uh, there, there now is a move afoot. And, and, and I, their heart's in the right place. I totally get where city council is coming from what, uh, here. But uh, council member Keisha Sean Waits wants to get local media to run that message every day at nine o'clock. But if this, okay, fine. That's fine. It's, it's going to be one of those things though, where like, do you ever watch anything live anymore? I mean, aside from a sporting event, like I don't watch anything live anymore. So this is kind of a, eh, is this really a solution? Is it? Is it really a? I don't know, but I'm telling you, if this comes to cell phones next, like them Amber Alerts, like just smack dab in the middle of a conversation, or you could be in a deep sleep, and that thing will go, ee, just like crazy. Uh-uh. Do not do this. Um, I mean, okay, you run, run that. Get if you, if the TV stations will run that. Okay, I I I don't think it's close to solving uh, our 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 youth. Uh, crime involvement issue in the city of Atlanta, but just don't bring it to my cell phone un- unannounced and fully charged and, and and as loud as possible, taken over the way uh the way an Amber Alert does. The Honorable Councilperson Waits, by the way, wanted to enact a curfew, and there, there just can't seem to be a consensus agreement uh, on city council about what time that curfew would be for uh, Atlanta's youth. So this was the other option, and and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, historically speaking, this used to happen. That like back in the in the '70s and '80s, they used to have local TV stations air something like this at 10 p.m. Incidentally, yesterday was an election day, and local elections officials are just shaking their heads about voter turnout. But it was yesterday. It was like March. Just a, a random March 20th. There were there were no other. Reasons to show up to vote, except for uh, folks in uh, Mapleton, the new city of Mapleton, where uh, the mayor's race and four of the six uh, city council seats are uh, heading to a runoff. My my friend Rob was running for that and didn't get bless him. I, you know, and I tried to get him on the show. Like I don't know if it would have mattered. Uh, it doesn't look like when I when you look at the results. I, I would have given him a whole lot of help, but uh, anyway. It's, it's always cool to be the first. And by the way, one of the guys running for mayor in the runoff actually voted against the creation of the city of Mapleton in the first place. Um, that's weird. Here, why don't we just uh, elect the the coyote into the hen house here? What could go wrong? I mean, I think he's, I think, if I remember seeing a clip uh, in the news last night, he's kind of one of those, he's like, well, I wasn't for it, but at least now, you know. Uh, I'll be a good steward, and uh, those who don't want to be in the, the new city's city limits don't have to be, and I'll, I'll work towards it. So he's, he's kind of trying to be a little bit of, a, of a, a moderation between the new city, and there's a little bit of pushback from those who obviously just weren't aware that this new city was coming together and didn't want to be in it to begin with. So there's that. Clayton County, there was a race to succeed the uh, disgraced Sheriff Victor Hill. Uh, that race apparently going to a runoff, uh, uh, someone from, uh, I guess, his uh, policing tree, LaVon Allen, uh, didn't quite get enough votes uh, for an outright win, so he'll be in a runoff against Clarence Cox, who's, uh, Cox who is a chief investigator for the uh, Fulton County Solicitor General's office. And so if you think turnout yesterday sucked, runoffs, April 18th, those races should be even even worse <laughs> yay democracy by the way earlier today the federal reserve decided to use one of the few tools that it has to try and uh corral inflation by um extending its uh, year plus long fight and uh raising uh interest rates again by another quarter percent. There was some hope that the most recent rumblings in the banking uh, sector might keep uh, Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve from doing that. That actually did not turn out to be the case. So instead, the Fed is going to do what hasn't really worked much at all as far as curbing inflation goes by making it more expensive for consumers to borrow to continue making necessary purchases or unnecessary purchases too, I guess. See, I mentioned that the Fed has very few tools to combat inflation. uh, And one of them, of course, being interest rates. And the perplexing, confounding, uh, maddening thing about them using that tool is that because wages don't keep pace with cost of living anyway, inflation. Uh, And because the Federal Reserve can't do a thing about wages, let alone the minimum wage. Hello, it's been what, since 2009 that we've touched that? It's been 14 years since the minimum wage has been touched, y'all. Anyway, uh, because the Fed can't do anything about that, the only thing they can do is up, down, lever, up, down, lever. Let's go up, let's go down, let's go up, let's go down. And it's all they can do. It's just literally like like jiggling a switch, hoping that finally, the one time you jiggle a switch, a wire's gonna catch and a light's gonna come on. But all their action is going to eventually do, the more they keep pushing this, is eventually it's gonna lead consumers to consuming less. And we know what that means. That means an economic downturn. And an economic downturn means layoffs. And layoffs mean more of an economic downturn, which means more layoffs. This is how we get to a recession. This is how you get to a recession. And we've had Wall Street Pinhead after economist Wall Street Pinhead tell us, well, this is what we need. We, we, we need a you know, a soft landing, a, a, a light recession, a little, a little a little off the top. No, it's not, it's not a little off the top. And anyway, in fact, it's, it's, it's a lot off the bottom. That's the problem. We keep going towards uh, the, the, the weakest among us uh, from an economic standpoint, and thinking that that's going to save capitalism in principle from crumbling under the weight of its own inequality. I've maintained all along that I've got nothing against capitalism, nothing that well-regulated capitalism couldn't fix. The problem is we've been in this four-plus-decade wave of anti-regulationism from the right, and here we are now. We've had uh, savings and loan and, and bank institutional failures of a cyclical nature for, again, the better part of the last four plus decades. And it just, it drives me nuts. Uh, What we need Americans to use their credit cards less. Okay, pay them more. Oh, we can't do that. That's going to bring up costs. Well, what about these exorbitant profit margins? Oh, no, you can't touch that. Also, you can't tax corporations because then they'll just raise prices. But their profit margins are The highest they've been since the 1950s, by the way, on average. (laughs) <laughs> but but we we can't just pay people better? We we can't just let workforce income keep pace with inflation or catch up to inflation the last 3 plus decades? We can't bring the minimum wage up to I don't know, $15 an hour, which by the way, I believe would still be less uh, in, in in purchasing power than what it was in the late 1960s, early 1970s at this point we're so far behind on that and, and the, stop making that a political football. Just raise the damn thing, tie it to a, a chain of some sort, whether it be a, an inflationary measure or cpi i don't I don't care what just chain it to something so that it keeps pace with the cost of living. and we don't have people voting on it and then worried about getting primaried because they voted on it. We make things too difficult sometimes in this country. It's like our healthcare system. We have to have this convoluted, uh, you've got Medicare, you've got Medicaid, you've got uh, the ACA, and you've got all of these uh, other ways that you could save some money conceivably, but at the end of the day, everything's for profit. Which, by the way, doesn't deliver quality health care to all the American people, just those that can most afford it. And of course, the shortcomings cost us economically as well. People who can't get well enough to work, of course, stay chronically unemployed or underemployed. And they become a drain on the taxpayer as well because they wind up you know, having to go to the government to bridge the gap in the shortcomings. And even if they are well enough to work, they got to get back into the the, the, the the employment sector, making the least amount as possible. And if it's the minimum wage or if it's less than, I don't know, $12, 15 an hour at this point, it, it might as well be less than minimum wage because you're going to wind up needing public assistance to survive either way. Why do we make things so difficult for ourselves in this country? All to protect unfettered corporate profit, golden parachutes for CEOs and CEFOs and other folks on corporate boards to get off lightly when they do Huge damage to either their business, their sector, or their employee base, or the public at large. So, am I shocked that the Fed raised interest rates again? No, not really. I guess I sort of expected them to figure out a way to make this a little more painful for Joe Average and Jane Average again. But I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little surprised that they decided to not just table it for a month or so and let this whole banking thing settle in, let the dust settle on that before they decided to take one more whack at Joe Consumer, Jane Consumer. And by the way, that whole right-wing argument about, well, government spending is what's causing it. No, that's not. Uh, first of all, uh, that $2,000 check we got, or some of us got what? Well, we got two $2,000 checks, right, back in 2020. Y'all, that's been three years. I can guarantee you that four thousand dollars from three years ago ain't got no effect. I'm saying it again, ain't got damn effect on my spending habits right now. Not a damn. That that money's long gone. It was, it was there to help us survive a pandemic, an economic shutdown, a calamity. And by the way, it worked. It worked, and the economy rebounded faster because it went right to us consumers versus when the 2007-2008 uh, bailouts went to corporations and the jobs continued hemorrhaging by the hundreds of thousands per month until finally things started turning around in like mid-2010. No, the, the results when, when we at the bottom got the money was near immediate. If that ain't proof that a rising tide lifts all boats and is preferable to trickle-down economics that we've largely gritted our teeth through for the last four decades, then I just don't know what else to tell you. We've tried it their way for more than four decades and seen that it doesn't work, and we tried it just once in 2020— back when Donald Trump was just trying to keep the economy afloat long enough so that he could get reelected. I mean, I'm not saying he was doing it to be compassionate to us. I mean, maybe he was, but we know he needed the economy not to sink because it was the one thing he had going for him that could have made the argument for his reelection. So them checks got out real quick. We all got those Sharpie market checks pretty quick. Did we not? Even the second one, in the heat of the election cycle, that second one came out really quick, man. Got to get that out to the people. Get those checks out. Hurry, hurry, hurry. And don't forget you got those checks and who signed them with the smudgy Sharpie signature. And while it didn't work to get him reelected, it worked to save the economy and a faster rebound. At the end of the day, the Fed is largely insulated from politics, and usually that's a good thing, but it's time for Jerome Powell and his mindset to go. (laughs) Oh, hey, you're still here. Hey, that's cool. Thanks for sticking around. Not only am I host of The Ron Show, I'm also Ron Roberts, real estate agent slash realtor with eXp Realty. That's right. I help folks buy and sell residential real estate in and around metro Atlanta. And we've been through a crazy couple of years, have we not? Between COVID, the post COVID market, the craziness. You could throw an open house on a souped up tool shed and you would have cars lined around the block to come in and see it and throw an offer well over asking price. Well, those days are no longer a part of us, and interest rates are a little higher than they were before. But I must say, it's still a great time to either buy or sell or both real estate, residential real estate in Metro Atlanta. Why buy? I tell tenuous buyers all the time, if you are renting right now, you are paying someone else's retirement accounts your money, and it might as well go to you. The cost of housing in Atlanta is not going to get cheaper. The population is going to continue to grow well into the 2040s with nearly a million and a half new residents expected to come here. So, you better get a house sooner rather than later. And if you can afford to buy an investment property, now, if you already own your home, why not buy one nearby you as well and create some additional income that could be your retirement savings? And you get to choose one of your new neighbors. Now, if you're thinking about selling, but you're thinking, oh man, I really missed out on that huge market in the past summer or two. Okay, yeah, sure. But the values aren't dropping. So, you still got plenty you've earned just by owning what you're in and need to sell soon. Got questions? Feel free to hit me up 843-283-0078 or email me ron at Georgia MLS 396-720 website rononthereal.com. That's me, Ron Roberts with eXp Realty.
0: Follow The Ron Show on Twitter at ronshowATL. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Another
1: not good day for the Atlanta-based folks at Norfolk Southern. Uh, Another uh, Senate hearing today where Norfolk Southern was challenged to stop the practice of stock buybacks. When asked during the hearing if the company would suspend its stock buybacks until it fulfills its assurance to the community of East Palestine, Ohio, Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw was pretty noncommittal. Norfolk Southern has, by the way, posited that, well, we've given $10 million to 6,000 families so far. Um, That's like less than $1,700 per family. They did say that they were planning a long-term medication fund, but no price tag on that. Also a property value assurance program and a longer-term water testing program. Norfolk Southern seems rather lukewarm to uh, any idea of new rail safety guidelines as the CEO testified that he supports the principles of certain safety regulations proposed in the Senate Rail Safety Bill, but that he stopped short of supporting some measures in the bill, such as requiring two-person crews on trains (laughs) and would not directly answer which measures Norfolk Southern opposes. It was about a week ago that Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown sort of went off on uh, the rail industry and fighting against regulations while taking in billions in profits and, of course, stock buybacks. I'm going
0: to let you listen to a little bit of that rant. I want to say a few words about the people in East Palestine, Ohio, and the aftermath of the Silicon Valley bank collapse. They both have one thing in common. Companies followed the Wall Street business model, obsessed with short-term profits at the expense of everything and everyone else. They were aided and abetted by corporate lobbyists and the politicians here who do their bidding, weakening rules meant to protect the people whom we serve. Mm. And now working people in Ohio and around the country pay the price. Norfolk Southern chose to invest much of its massive profits in making its executives and shareholders wealthier at the expense of Ohio communities along its rail tracks. They're fighting basic requirements, basic requirements like having two drivers, two engineers, two pilots, if you will, on these trains, two and a half mile long trains, 200 cars. The railroads want only one human being on that train driving. It's the same story with Silicon Valley Bank. For as long as we've had big banks, they've had too much power in this town. Two of the most powerful lobbyists in this town for 100 years, the banks and the railroads. It's how we got the financial crisis. 08 that wiped out workers' savings and permanently set back an entire generation of young Americans. Of course, Wall Street didn't change its ways. Wall Street Bank spent the ensuing years lobbying to roll back safeguards. The now-defunct Silicon Valley Bank spent hundreds of thousands of dollars Pushing for exemptions for banks like this. Their CEO Mm -hmm. said they shouldn't be subject to strong guardrails because of, quote, the low risk profile of our activities and business model. Low risk profile, his words. When we let corporations run the economy, workers and their families always pay, whether it's for the greed of Norfolk Southern, Silicon Valley Bank, or Big Pharma or Big Oil. Pretty simple question at stake in everything we do in these jobs. Whose side are you on? Do you stand with corporate lobbyists or do you stand with communities like East Palestine? Do you stand with Wall Street? Do you stand with workers.
1: By the way, why is it every time uh, a a progressive who makes a ton of sense and and can speak like Sherrod Brown comes along, you know, every like two, three decades or whatever, he's got to look like, you know, some schlep. I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders kind of had, well, he's got the Sherrod Brown haircut, you know, back in the 80s. And Sherrod Brown is well on course to having the Bernie Sanders hairstyle in about 10, 15, 20 years or so. And by then he'll be too old to run for president. He doesn't have the marketability. You know what I'm saying? Why do we always have to... Where is that uh, that poster child looking, you know, golden boy or you know, shining? I don't know. AOC's AOC's very pretty. I just don't think she wants to run for president, and she's been demonized so much by the right that she doesn't stand a snowball's chance. But we always got a we always got a Sherrod Brown who just looks like you know that curmudgeonly college professor who sort of you know smells like cigar smoke and wears the elbow patch jacket all the time. But you know and 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 you know, the the old loafers. Ugh. Anyway, he makes a lot of sense. He makes a ton of sense. Anyway, not a good day, again, for Norfolk Southern. But if I know the American political system and capitalism as I do, we'll somehow let them get off with just the minimum amount of damage so that they can stay in business and still hit profit margins while the folks in East palisades struggle for generation upon generation. And before you ask, Yes, it sucks to be that cynical. It just—it is what it is. We'll see. Uh, today's inspiring women. By the way, this is like the back-to-back day here that we're dealing with figure skaters. Really, it's Women's History Month, and all I can find are are anecdotes about figure skaters. We gotta do better than this, y'all. Anyway, in 1997, Tara Lipinski became the youngest women's world figure skating champion. She was just 14 years and nine months old when she did that back on this day, March 22nd, 1997. Okay, this is a lot better, actually. Uh, It was on this day in 1972 that Congress passes the Equal Rights Amendment, which granted equal rights for women. Of course, the ERA was never ratified by the required number of states to this date, and shame on us for that. All right, I got less than a minute to go, so let's wrap up the show. Uh, by the way, back tomorrow, five to six p.m. on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. That's where you hear the show first every weekday, Monday through Friday, five to six on America One Radio. Download the America One Radio app uh, from the Google Play Market or the uh, Apple iTunes Market. It's available on both, and uh, you can listen to that show. You can also uh, listen to Randy Rhodes and Tom Hartman and a whole host of other progressive and liberal voices. Uh, throughout the state of Georgia and from around the country and around the world as well. All right. If you missed the show for whatever reason, though, it's okay. We'll put it on the podcast platform a little after six each weeknight, and I've got all those podcast links for you at ronshowatl.com. I also have a little blog from each day's show as well. You can get all that at ronshowatl.com. All right. So that's going to do it. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m., here on the America One Radio app, Radio.com. And on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, I'm actually in my second bedroom recording this, and one of the cats has come in and decided to hit the litter box. So I'm out. Bye. Right, see you.